And tonight we're going to get started in part one of Psalm 17. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 17 and we'll get started in our study. Um, David is the author of this psalm. It's got a very short title. It just says, A Prayer of David. And so uh, we know that David is our author because it's indicated in that short little title. If we were to give this psalm a theme, I would say that it's probably a prayer of confidence. We're going to see a lot of confidence in David's prayer in Psalm 17. Also, we're going to see that confidence that he has is ultimately in his final salvation. We probably won't get that far tonight. That'll be in part two of our study next week. But David has confidence in the Lord for his final salvation eternally. So I'm going to go ahead and read uh, at least the first part of Psalm 17 down through verse 7 if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Psalm 17, verse 1, it says, Hear a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart. You have visited me in the night. You have tried me and have found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Verse 5, Uphold my steps in your paths, that my footsteps may not slip. I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. Incline your ear to me and hear my speech. Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O you who save those who trust in you, from those who rise up against them. And so just a quick overview on those first seven verses, maybe some initial observations. Uh, we don't know the reason or the cause of this prayer necessarily. Uh, David could have still been running from Saul. That's very possible. We don't know because there's nothing specific in here that indicates that. But to me, David's prayer here in Psalm 17 almost seems to be a continuation of his prayer from Psalm 16 because we see a lot of similarities. We see even some carryover from Psalm 16 into Psalm 17. But David's prayer here definitely includes a lot of trust in God. We see that in verse 6. It includes dependence upon Him. We see that in verse 5 and a great deal of hope that we're going to eventually see when we get down to verse 15. But David prays with assurance that his cause is, first of all, just. We see that in verse 1. He declares that he's honest in his prayer in verses 1 and 2, both. And then we see both David's discipline and his dependence in verses 3 and 5. And so he's been tested, he's been tried, but it's only God that will ultimately uphold his steps, as we see in verses 3 and 5. So we should never mistake our own efforts. This is what we learn from that. We should never mistake our own efforts to live a righteous life for our own ability to do that, right? It's God that upholds our steps. In other words, in our efforts to live for Christ, we should not become self-righteous in doing so. We need to understand that we are completely and always dependent upon God, and so we need to live with that sort of mindset with our dependence being completely on God. Verse 7 tells us that God's right hand is not only powerful and authoritative, which is how we normally would understand that. When you see God's right hand mentioned in Scripture, immediately you think power, you think authority, uh, command, things like that. But here in verse 7, we see that it's also loving. So I think that should comfort us to know that God's right hand not only protects us, but it also provides for us, and He does that lovingly. 
And honestly, what could any of us need more than God's love? Really, ultimately, that's what we need most is his love. He provides marvelous loving kindness, David says, by his right hand. So, verse 1, as we begin our study, says this, Here is a just cause, O Lord. Attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. So, not to be confused with things like petty complaints, selfish prayers, angry rants, things like that, or mindless repetition even, which I know I'm guilty of, of being very repetitive in my prayers. I try to guard against that. But David's cause here is just. And so I think we learn at least two things from this. And we need to make sure that our prayers are, number one, honest. We need to be honest in our prayer life, but they must also be right. They must be just, in other words. So what does that mean? Well, I think it could mean that we shouldn't have any ulterior motives when we pray. Okay? What do I mean by that? For example, let's take, for example, when we pray out loud in a small group, like we just did. We do this often in church, right? We pray together out loud in small groups. One of the things that we need to guard against is praying with the hope that someone else gets the point. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Sometimes we pray in a way to where we're almost talking to someone else rather than to God. Okay? Don't indirectly correct people or scold people or try to teach somebody something with your prayers. Right? Our prayers are to be directed to God, and so they must be just. And too many times in our prayers, we hear sort of people talking to someone or about something rather than to God. And we really, as believers, we got to guard against that. We need to pray to God not toward someone else. David says, attend to my cry, right? So we have enough to cry about on our own. That's for sure. We've got enough issues of our own. So we need to focus in our prayer life on our sin, on our needs, on our cries when we pray, things like that. Not on the sins or the actions or the attitudes of other people. Let God deal with them, okay? Let your cause be just. So David is asking for God's attention ultimately here in verse 1. He's saying, attend to my cry. It's very personal. Now, believers, we're not exempt from being hurt by the world around us. That's for sure, okay? So who better to attend to our cry than the Lord himself? Now, this is different than, say, hearing a cause. David started out verse 1 by saying, hear a just cause, O Lord. And then he says, attend to my cry. These are different things. God has heard Okay, now David asks for help. That's what we see in the second half of this verse here. He's asking for help. So think about it like this. Think about it like when one of your children were small. When you had little kids in the home, maybe you do now, and one of them comes home crying with a bloody knee, they fell off their bike or whatever, what do you do? You attend to their cry, don't you? What does that look like? You clean up the wound. You bandage up the wound. Uh, You help them. You wipe away their tears, things like that. That is attending to their cry. So David is asking God, don't don't just hear me. I want you to hear me, Lord. But beyond that, I want you to help me. I want you to actually attend to my cry. That makes a difference. He goes on to say, give ear to my prayer, which is not from deceitful lips. Okay, so this is important. David has checked his heart. Okay, he's checked his motives before coming to the Lord in prayer. He says, there's no deceit. In my prayer, which is to say, Lord, I don't have any ulterior motives here. This is an honest cry that I'm offering up. James chapter 5, verses 16, actually the second half of verse 16, it says, The effective, 
fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So there's a lot said there, right? The prayer needs to be effective, it needs to be fervent, and it needs to be from someone who is righteous. That is to say, someone who doesn't have any ulterior motives and very honest prayer. So don't be deceptive in your prayer life, right? We're not going to trick God. We're not going to fool him. If you want God to attend to your cry, then we need to be sure that our cry is from an honest and a repentant heart. Verse 2, let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. So, you know, I think that there's those who there are people who would feel guilty about standing in the presence of the Lord, right? And if we're honest, maybe we even feel like that sometimes. Like, how could I stand in the presence of the Lord? And that's not necessarily wrong, okay? But David looks at this a little different. He looks at being in the presence of the Lord as being vindicated. And that's interesting because that can only come from someone who has a righteous heart, right? I mean, those who are right with God want to be with Him. That's what we can learn from this. That means a heart that's confessed up, a heart that is cleaned up and prayed up, a heart like that longs to be in the presence of the Lord. We have nothing to hide. Conversely, a heart that's unjust, maybe a heart that's deceitful, a heart that prays with ulterior motives, um, something like that, maybe a heart that has something to hide, secret sin, whatever, uh, that heart doesn't necessarily want to be in the presence of the Lord. But David does, and so that tells us, some, tells us something about him. And I'll tell you this, sin does something every single time. Sin separates. Okay, so if we're living in sin, unrepentant sin, what that's going to do is drive you away from God. It's not going to want you to be in the presence of God, right? It's only when we confess that sin, repent of that sin, that we're comfortable being in the presence of God. Sin will always separate. So David, if you think about it, he's asking for vindication. He's asking for that in the presence of the Lord. But if, in fact, he's writing this psalm and he's on the run from Saul, he could have vindicated himself, right? We read in Scripture, especially in 1 Samuel chapter 24, where he could have vindicated himself. He could have taken Saul out, but instead he just cut off a piece of his robe, didn't he? So what did David do? He waited for his vindication, in other words, his justice, to come from the Lord. And that's very, very wise. We should learn something from that. Don't vindicate yourself. Wait to be vindicated in the presence of the Lord. We should learn from that. David continues, let your eyes look on the things that are upright. So those people who are living in continual unrepentant sin, they don't want the eyes of the Lord on them. Again, sin always separates. They hide. Think about Eve, Adam and Eve. Remember that story, Genesis 3.8? They heard God's voice after they sinned, and they hid themselves. So sin will separate. It will make you want to hide. However, those people who are walking by faith without any known or any unconfessed sin in their life, well, it's different for them. They long for the eyes of their Heavenly Father to be on them. David says, let your eyes look on the things that are upright. And he's not saying this for selfish reasons. He's saying it for relationship for fellowship so what we learn here is don't hide from God you know if you feel that pull to get away from God confess sin right get in your prayer closet and deal with that sin that's hiding in your heart get near to God don't don't get away from him don't hide from him confess that sin and come out of the shadows into the gaze of God verse 3 you have tested my heart you have visited me in the night. You have tried me and found nothing. I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. 
So this is a great verse here. The Lord has examined David in three specific ways here that we read about. He's tested him, he's visited him, and he's tried him. So the word for tested here in the original language, the original Hebrew, it means to examine, it means to prove. And so we should notice here that this is also a heart test. So God has tested or examined or proved David's heart. He says, you have tested my heart. And so we should never ever forget as believers in Jesus Christ that God always looks at the heart, right? And David knows this. He knows it all too well. It's how God, in fact, chose him to be king. Remember that? 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7 says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature. And all the short people said, Amen. Because I have rejected Eliab, right? That was one of David's brothers. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance. But, check this out, the Lord looks at the heart. So none of Jesse's seven other sons had a heart like David, apparently, at least according to the Lord. That's for sure. God tested David's heart. He goes on to say, you have visited me in the night. And so the original Hebrew word here for visited, it means to attend to, it means to look after or to care for. Okay? And so this tells us that because God had visited or attended to David in the past, that David could confidently ask God again to attend to his cry back in verse 1. Because David knows from experience that God will attend to his children no matter what time it is. Did you notice what time it is? Even in the night. You have visited me in the night. And so we looked at in, in chapter 16, verse 7, we talked about night seasons. Same thing here. So there's those seasons in our life that we're going to go through. Night seasons, if you will. The valleys, the struggles, the tough times. God visited David even in his struggles. Even in the, the night, the deepest, darkest times of his life, God was there. And he could count on him. So as Christians, we need to understand that we can sleep well, right? We can lay our head on the pillow at night and rest well because our God is awake. He will visit us even in the night. David continues, he said, you have tried me and found nothing. So he's been tested, he's been visited, now he's been tried. And this word here in the Hebrew, it means to smelt or to refine. And that's a very specific meaning. It's really cool because I want us to notice the attention that we are given here from our Heavenly Father. As children of God, He pays attention to us. He's not an absentee father. He's not going to abandon us. He won't leave us alone ever. He is intimately involved in our life. And so continually, He's conforming us into the image of His Son. We're being refined. We're being tried. That's what that word means. And remember, those whom the Lord loves, He chastens. That's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. He tries us. He refines us. We're being made more like Christ. So when a child receives this kind of love from their father, then it should make them want to behave and show their father the same kind of love in return by their obedience to him. Okay? So the result of God's love and refining work in David's life is this. He says this, you know what? Because of this love that I've been shown, because he has tested me, visited me, and tried me, and intimately been involved in my life, he's never left me alone in one single night season of my entire life. He's always been there. And because the love God has shown me, then this, I have purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. Very interesting. How many times have you... Or maybe not you, but maybe you've heard someone else say, 
well, I probably shouldn't say this, but, and then they go ahead and say that thing that they probably shouldn't say, right? Well, I know this isn't right to say, but, and then you go ahead and say it, or you hear it go ahead and be said. I have a solution to that. Don't say it, okay? Purpose that you will not sin with your mouth, just like David did here. One of the marks of Christian maturity is learning to watch your mouth. That's James chapter 3, verse 2. But I've got to be honest, the Christian life is not easy, right? It takes discipline, okay? The Christian life is a life of discipline. Job said this. He said that he made a covenant with his eyes. That's Job 31, 1. He made a covenant with his eyes. David says here that he purposed not to sin with his mouth. So we see the discipline already, don't we? Remember Daniel. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. So we see discipline. We see covenants being made and purposes being made with different parts of our body. That's all imagery just to say that I'm going to knuckle down and do this thing. I'm going to purpose in my heart to live according to the Bible. I'm not always going to get it right, you know, but, but I'm going to effort to do my best before God to live an honest life that's honorable to Him, that's righteous before Him. If I've got to make a covenant with my eyes so that I stop looking at things that I shouldn't look at, then I'm going to do that. If I've got a purpose in my heart to shut my mouth, then I'm going to do that. If my mouth is running over, then I need to purpose with my mouth to be quiet, right? I need to purpose in my heart that I'm not going to defile myself with the things of this world, just like Daniel did. So guys, if you want to stop sinning and live in obedience to God, then we've got to start doing the hard things. We've got to start being disciplined Christians. We've got to tell our eyes to stop sinning. We've got to tell our mouth to stop sinning because all of this matters. It matters in eternity. We've got to stop letting ourselves get away with sloppy living, okay? And make a concerted effort to not sin. We've got to honor God with how we live and purpose in our heart. We've got to resolve it. We've got to settle it. Verse 4, concerning the works of men, by the word of your lips, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. Okay, so in regard to the stuff that's happening in David's life at this time, whether it's being on the run from Saul or whatever it is, God has kept his word all throughout it. God has protected David says, I have kept away from the paths of the destroyer. So David has done this, by the way, by God's grace and by the word of God's lips. So David's been able to avoid going down the wrong path. And I would say that a lot of us here could raise a hand and say, I've gone down the wrong path before, okay, if we're honest. And David did too, okay? So he's not perfect, but he's saying that the way that I've been able to avoid these things is by your grace and by the word of your lips, I've been able to avoid that path that leads to destruction. And I've been able to do that, not in my own strength, by the way, but by the Word of God. So this tells us just how important it is, guys, to know the Word of God. We've got to know the Word of God. We've got to get in it. I mean, I would say it's important enough to keep us from being destroyed. That's how important it is to know this book. And so the first step that you take away from the Word of God is the first step that you take onto the path of the destroyer. So think about it like that the next time you're tempted to sin. The first step away you take from God is the first step towards sin. And it's the first step onto the path that will lead to destruction. So we've got to get in God's Word. We've got to stay in God's Word. And we've got to get it off these pages and into our heart. Verse 5. Uphold my steps in your paths. 
that my footsteps may not slip. So David understands that he's going to need continued strength. He's going to need continued guidance from the Lord in order to remain on this right path. He's not going to be able to do that in his own strength. And, and notice that David said, your path, right? And we just studied Psalm 16. And in verse 11 of that chapter, it says, you will show me the path of life. Okay, so David knows that God's path is the path of life, right? But even so, unless God holds him up, there's still a possibility that he may slip and that he may fall. That my footsteps may not slip, David said. So he recognizes the fact that unless God holds him up, there's still the possibility of sinning, of slipping, even when he's on that right path. So we need to recognize as believers that we have shortcomings, that we have weaknesses. We need to know them. We need to know those buttons that the world can push that's going to get us off the path and into sin. We need to know ourselves so that we can avoid those things. Again, if we, if we have a tendency to sin with our eyes, make a covenant with them. If we have a tendency to sin with our mouth, purpose not to sin with your mouth. Be very specific in how you discipline your body, your mind, your spirit uh, in accordance with God's word. So know your weaknesses and commit those things to the Lord and then call upon the Lord to uphold you while you walk on his path, right? I like what David Guzik says here. He says, this again shows the significant humility in David's prayer. And he's right. He says that he wants to be upheld, but only on God's path. That's very specific. So included in this prayer is the unspoken prayer of, Lord, if I'm not on your path, then please put me there because I want to be on your paths and not my own. And that's exactly right. So as believers, when we're confessed up, we're prayed up, we have uh, no unknown or unrepentant sin in our heart, then that makes us want to be close with God. We want to be in his presence, not away from him. Something else that we need to notice here in verse 5 is the word path is plural. Did you catch that? Because we tend to think of God only having one path, and that would be the path of life that we studied back in Psalm 16, verse 11. And that's true. There is only one path, if you will, one way to eternal life, and that's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is that path of life, if you will. But what I think is going on here, because the word is plural, I think David is using this word to mean God's ways. Okay? You know, God has a way about him, doesn't he? What are some of those ways that God has about him? Well, he's holy. He's righteous. God is just. He is loving. Things like that, right? Character traits of God. So I believe that David is asking God to uphold him as he efforts to walk in God's ways. In other words, in all of those ways, not just some of them. You know, be holy for I am holy. Things like that. David is asking to be more like God in all of his ways. And he, in fact, he says in Psalm 25, verse 4, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths, plural, David said. So the character of the Christian should resemble the character of their God. And so David is saying, Lord, there's not any aspect of my life that I don't want to be conformed into the likeness of Christ. I want to be like you in every conceivable way. I'm never going to be God, but I'm created in your image. I know you're holy and righteous and just. You do things the right way all the time, every time. I want to be like that, God. And so that tells us that we shouldn't harbor anything for ourselves, right? We don't want to harbor anything, any type of sin, any, anything like that. We want to make sure that we have offered all of us, every part of us, to God for his service and for his glory. So David is saying, Lord, you have all of me. I want to be like you in every conceivable way. Verse 6, I have called upon you, for you will hear me, O God. 
incline your ear to me and hear my speech. So I love this because this tells us that when believers call upon God, when we call upon the Lord, we can be assured that God will hear us. And that is awesome. I mean, this is the very reason that we call on him, right? Because he will hear us. Substitute the word for in verse 6 for the word because. It's the same thing. I have called upon you because you will hear me, O God. So this gives us fantastic confidence as believers. So here's something we learned from this. Take your cares to God. Pray to God knowing that he will hear you. And don't ever, ever, ever place your trust in your feelings, right? And this is where we can trip up because we don't always feel like God hears us, do we? Sometimes we feel like we're just praying and nothing is happening. And we, we just think, well, maybe God, you're not hearing me. But the truth is, our feelings lie to us. They lie almost every time. And so here's what we have to do. We've got to trust in the truth of the Word of God, which says what? You will hear me. So the moment you start thinking that God's not hearing your prayers, go back to verse 6 here of Psalm 17 and reread that and remind yourself that God will hear you. That's a promise that you have uh, from Scripture. I love Adrian Rogers and... One of the things that he used to do after he would preach, he would give an invitation. And uh, almost every time, I don't think every time, but almost every time he would give an invitation, he would say something like this. He would say, you know, if you want to come up and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, you come on. He said, you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ today and be saved. And then he would go on to say, don't wait for a feeling. Don't look for a sign, but trust in the unchanging eternal truth of God trust in the word of God right we don't we don't trust our feelings we don't look for a sign if God's word says it then we can believe it right this is the confidence that we have in the middle of our crisis it's the word of God that doesn't change the Bible says in Psalm what is it, 119 I think somewhere if I remember right verse 86 somewhere in there that his word is settled in heaven so it's eternal and it doesn't change so God hears you when you pray you can have confidence believer Incline your ear to me, David said, and hear my speech. So God hears his children in a very specific, in a very intimate way. He doesn't just generally hear you, okay? It's very specific. He doesn't simply get a general idea of what you're saying, okay? Not at all. He inclines his ear to you. How about that? To me, this is very, very personal. I love this because it tells me that God knows the tone of my voice. God knows the patterns of my speech. Think about it like this. How many of you could pick out your children's voice in a crowd? I'd say almost everybody, right? You know their voice, right? You recognize their laugh. You recognize their cry. Well, so it is with God and you, right? He hears you specifically. He hears your cry. He hears your laugh. He knows the tone of your voice and the patterns of your speech and so on. In other words, his ear is inclined to you. He knows your voice. He's not burdened by your prayers. Don't ever think that. Lord, it's just a small thing. Oh, shucks. No. Take even the small things to God because his ear is inclined to you. He wants to hear from you. He enjoys fellowshipping with you and conversing with you. He loves you. He loves hearing from you. Do you think your kids love hearing from you? Absolutely. God loves hearing from you. So pray, pray in confidence and pray knowing that his ear is inclined to you. Verse 7, show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. O you who save those who trust in you, 
from those who rise up against them. So show your marvelous loving kindness. This is the first time that we see the word loving kindness in the book of Psalms. The word is chesed. It means goodness. It means kindness, faithfulness. And David calls this kind of love that we see here from God marvelous. I think that's a good word for it. Because if we read too fast through this, we're going to miss the point. The word marvelous in the original language means distinct. The word means marked out. That's not typically how we would view the word marvelous. The word marvelous here means distinguished or separated. So God's love for his people is like no other. It's very, very distinct. So as a believer, you have been marked out by his love. Think about it like that. His love for you is very, very distinguished. It's separate from the kind of love that you're going to receive from the world. God's love toward his children is very, very special. And it comes, notice this, from his right hand. And normally, again, we would understand the right hand of God to mean power, to mean strength or authority, something like that, which is very, very true. But here we see it used a different way. We see that his love is also at his right hand. So what does that tell us? Well, I think it tells us that God never over disciplines. God never judges too harshly. He never punishes too quickly. And it also tells us that his right hand of righteousness is, is a righteous judgment that will also save those who trust in him. So it's an arm of salvation. It's an invitation to come to me and be saved. It's an invitation to come and be saved. And it also tells us that God will protect his children and he will do that in a very loving way. And he's going to do it from those who rise up against them. So according to the second half of this verse, believers should rest in the fact that God is their protector, that whatever rises up against you as a believer in Jesus Christ is also rising up against God. No matter whether it's an army, like, like in David's case, it might be the army of Saul, an army of a king, something like that. It doesn't matter if it's that or the enemy of your souls. It could be spiritual battle. It could be a disease. No matter what's rising up against you is also rising up against God. Nothing will happen to you outside of God's permission and outside of God's protection. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that as believers in Christ, we're going to have a life of complete ease. It doesn't mean that we're going to have a life that's free from trouble. Of course, we're not. We're going to have temptation. We're going to have diseases and so on. But it does mean that God knows our needs. It means that God sees us very specifically. And it means that he is with us. So those who rise up against you, believer, are rising up against God. And God, by his word will uphold your steps as you walk along his paths. So I think we should take great comfort from this. Stay in the word. Stay close to Christ. Keep your sins confessed up. The moment you start feeling separated from Christ, it's inevitably by sin in your life. Get that confessed and get close to God. Get back in fellowship with him. Get in his presence. That's where you're going to be vindicated. Okay, You're not going to be able to vindicate yourself. Let God do that. Okay? And just be in his presence where you're comforted and protected by his right arm, his loving kindness. I think that's very encouraging for me as a believer that God's right arm is not only going to protect me from my enemies and from the enemy of my soul, but it's a right arm that's going to love me, that's going to know when to spank my rear end or rub me on the head and tell me everything's going to be all right. You know, God's going to know exactly how to treat me. 
So stay close to your Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you and thank you so much for this time in your word, this brief study. God, it's beautiful how you treat your children, how you raise us, if you will, how you take care of us, how you treat us, how you call us your own, how you incline your ear to us. You are so intimate and specific in how you love us and provide for us. And we're just forever grateful, Lord, that you would do that. It, it's such an intimate fellowship that we have with you, the creator of the universe, yet you're still the lover of our soul. And so help us, Lord, to abide in your presence. Help us to not get off of the path. We know that you're going to uphold us by your word uh, if we're living according to your will and if we're living according to your word. And so we have that promise from Scripture also that when we pray, you're going to hear us and you're going to pr provide for us, take care of us, Lord. So we don't have any needs in this world. Our only need is you and you provide everything we need. So Lord, would you continue to do that? Conform us into the likeness of Christ. Help us to live according to your will. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm.